Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host, Eric. Hello, everybody. All right, everyone. Uh, we are here to uh, break down the Madrid week of tennis. We'll talk about the final, of course, and uh, we'll also be looking ahead, kind of, <laughs> for the Rome preview, although technically Rome has started. We get that, but we are going to be looking ahead at the week and make our picks for uh, the semifinals, the finals, and obviously who is going to be the winner on the men and women's side. Uh, so this is going to be a three-setter this week, and in uh, the first set, as always, is going to be the news. So uh, first up on the ATP, uh, Novak Djokovic has tied Rafael Nadal for the most Masters 1000 titles at 33 with his title-winning run at the Mutual Madrid Masters. Um, Eric, I I think obviously it's a big deal, right? 33, uh, same number as Nadal. Nadal leads uh, all time, and obviously now they're both tied. So this was a big week for Novak, obviously getting back on track, right? Uh, he hasn't looked very good for quite some time. I mean, he won Australia, and since Australia, his results have been less than stellar for the most part. Um, but uh, he did write the ship here in Madrid by winning the Masters uh, 1000 title and, of course, uh, tying up with Nadal. Yeah, I mean, the the wins thing, the Masters, is, is lost its luster, in my opinion. It's just going to go back and forth, pretty much. So 33, it'll be 35, it'll be 40. Like, it, it's up before, you know, it really, who's going to, have the most titles is basically who plays longer than the other um you know there for a bit Djokovic had a few more titles than the doll the doll picked it back up it's gonna be vice versa so gonna be battling you know one may pull ahead but unless Nadal continues his uh ways of not winning even in clay tournaments then yeah I can see Djokovic kind of pulling away on the Masters front but at the end of the day it's kind of like secondary titles i i think once you hit that number even if djokovic has got like 40 versus the dolls 35 it's still the the grand slams is what matters the most now if they're even you know djokovic pulls even with the doll by the time he retires and then he, you know that's the next one it's the next tiebreakers master series if they're tied there then they go total titles i mean you can kind of break it down by that but djokovic also had a pretty cupcake week i mean to to be honest you know Taylor Fritz, Jeremy Shardy, walk over, then face team. Now, team win was a good win. Mm -hmm. But, like I mentioned to you before, team plays like Nadal. Team plays, team has way more top spin than Nadal does. Now, in Nadal's prime, I think Nadal maybe had a little bit more, but team hits well over 4,500 RPMs a lot of times. So, again, in the elevation, this is somebody whose game is. You know, does he get the margin of error with topspin? Yeah, he can. He can pull a topspin on it and make it go in. But that doesn't mean it's a it's a heavy shot. That doesn't mean it's it's a good shot. It's going to be a win or anything like that. Just because people may have a misconception that because we hit with topspin, because I do too, means I can do whatever I want to do. It's like no, when you play a good opponent and like the best returner in the game, you can't take off of it. Or you're going to see what happens like when Nadal does. When Nadal plays Djokovic and his forehand cross court is landing five feet inside the baseline because he's you know trying to err on the side of caution and isn't really going for it, he gets smoked. 
-hmm. team also is playing doubles this week. Now, he didn't play a lot of doubles, however, but still the fact is that you're in singles, you're in doubles. He was playing pretty well. He's been playing a lot, though, lately, more than Djokovic. And, again, I'm not attributing it to anything, but I know the same thing with Nadal. The uh, altitude plays into it. And the same thing goes for team. Plus, team served like 56% for a serve percentage, which is just atrocious. Um, and you got Djokovic, who Djokovic, you know, Djokovic is, is a consistent player. Even when he's not playing well, he's still pretty consistent. He hits flat. So even though the, the air is thinner, he doesn't have to worry as much about them sailing long because he can adjust slightly and he can have that and the ball is going to go in, where when you're hitting topspin, it's, it's a little bit different. So it's a good win. I don't say that Djokovic is going to be the favorite. I don't think he's the favorite to win Rome. I don't think he's the favorite to win. Well, you're getting ahead uh, of this here. You're getting ahead on some of this stuff. Well, so no, no. I'm just saying with the win, that's he's not. That this doesn't make him a favorite, especially because of the way he won. If he'd have played Chilich and it was a tough match, and then he won, you know, and then played Team, and then you had Pass, who good win, but again, it's the same thing before. Who beats Djokovic and Nadal, Nadal, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, any combination back-to-back? It's only been done a couple of times. The Just the mental fatigue of, of the win of the emotional high of beating Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer. Your next match, they basically always lose. So again, he was going up against that whether he knew it or not. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to downplay Djokovic's win on purpose because I don't want him to win because I don't want him to win, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm just being honest with my assessment on did he play good? Yeah, he played good, but he kind of played better than the other people across the net because they weren't playing phenomenal either. Nobody had A plus tennis, really. The only A plus tennis I can remember I can think of was Nadal's match against Warinka. That was pretty for Nadal's game, that was a pretty good masterclass match for him. And then he fell off though. Otherwise, it was just a lot of B's to maybe B-plus games by people. You know, Madrid does that. It's a really tough uh, environment to play your A game the entire time just because, you know, you don't play anywhere else. It's like it. It's like playing football or baseball in Denver. Yeah. You know, the altitude makes makes a big difference there. So, uh, yeah, good win by Djokovic, but it holds very little just based on how he won. All right. In my so I'll get to my thoughts later. All right. So uh, Roger has entered Rome in an attempt to gain more confidence ahead of Roland Garros. Uh, obviously, this is a sign that Roger felt that he played well, which, you know, he did. He, you know, Roger played well this week. Um, he played. Yeah. I think he played very well. Uh, I was actually looking, getting a little worried there based on his level of play uh, in that match, uh, you know, that he lost was. You know, it, he played. He played well in the match. It just, it just didn't go his way ultimately. Uh, but I think obviously he won. He's feeling confident. He he must feel good. His body must feel good. That he feels like going into Rome isn't going to hurt his chances in Paris. Now, you know, you may or may not believe that Roger has much of a shot in Paris, but the fact is he's entering Roland Garros, so he must feel that that he has a chance. So. You know, entering Rome it, to him must be something that he needs to do in order to gain a little more preparation, um, just get his feet a little more wet on clay. Because if if he if his body wasn't feeling one hundred percent, he wouldn't be entering Rome. Um, he would be saying, "Hey, I'm going to hold off. I'm just going to enter the Roland Garros, see what happens." But uh, I feel like this is a, a sign that to Roger, um, 
he had a good week and he wants to you know, see if he can build more confidence going in to the French Open. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's needed too. If he really thinks he, if he's going to have a really good chance to win, you're not going to get three matches on clay and then play Roland Garros and then have a reasonable expectation that when you get, if you make it to the quarters and semis, that your game is going to be as sharp against whoever's on the other side of the net who's probably been playing longer than you have, which at this point, if you're going to get to the quarters, he's going to play somebody like, uh, you know, the top eight, you know, or semifinals, let's just say semis. He's going to be playing in a doll, Djokovic, or a team most likely, maybe a Tsitsipas, someone who's who's played a lot more uh, than him. So, um, and maybe, maybe, you know, it, it brings a level of excitement back. He makes a de- decent run in Rome. He makes a decent run in, Ro- in Roland Garros, and maybe he plays again next year. You know, I think he was just afraid, not afraid, but he just was focused on, all right, he's probably not going to win Roland Garros, traditionally, because Nadal, better Wimbledon. But at this point, maybe, you know, maybe the career's winding down. We don't know it, and he wants to play a few more times. So we'll see. That's possible. All right, let's move on to the WTA, uh, where Kiki Burton's won the biggest title of her career uh, in winning the Mutual Madrid Masters title, oh. Eric. Uh, obviously, this is a huge deal because... Especially who she beat, too. Oh, yeah, well, because yeah, she beat Simona Halep in the final. And, you know, exactly. obviously, at this stage of uh, her career, Burton's is 27 years old. Uh, she's been around for a while. She's really only come on... In the last couple of years, it feels like she's she's been a, a late bloomer, uh, kind of like in a way like um, I'm trying to think. I guess kind of like Ashley Barty, although Barty's still pretty young. I think Barty's only like 23, uh, so I guess that's not really a valid comparison. But you know, she anyway, she's a late bloomer. Kiki Burton's is she's got uh, a topspin heavy game, um, you know, tall, willowy frame, but she really generates a lot of spin. Uh, which is great for Clay, of course. And, you know, if they got Simona Halep, you know, in straight sets, 6-4, 6-4, I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, it's a great win for her. It wasn't like it was a long, drawn-out, you know, two-and-a-half, three-hour match. Um, she kind of went out there, took care of business, and, and walked off with with the title. And I think it's a, it's a great win for her. I think it should give her a lot of confidence, not only going into Rome, but going into the French Open. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, she outplayed, you know, Halep pretty much in every category. The only category she didn't have a better percentage than her in was first serve percentage, but she had like 24% on her on first serve percentage one and second serve percent one. She had, I mean, Halep was abysmal. 52% first serve, 43% second serve points one. Um, it's, it's, it's tough to win, you know, it's really tough to win. You got to string your points together to hold a game. Um, when you're combined between first and second serves, not even winning 50% of points. Um, and then Burton's just was better in every category. Um, even had seven more return points, total return point percentage win. She had, she won 49% of total points. Yeah. Really what I meant to say, my tongue is getting tied here. Uh, so Halep only won 51% of her total service points. Like you're the odds of you still beating somebody are pretty slim. I know the scoreline says different it says six, four, so it looks like uh, it's a really close match, but it wasn't really that close. Kiki was in on almost every game um, and, and pretty deep, you know, getting to uh, 30 
you know, 40s breaking her uh, a bit as well, too. Um, so, yeah, it was good, good by Kiki. Uh, but we've seen her win before. That's the thing. She's won titles before. She's got two titles this year. Um, and I think the last time she won a title, like, she kind of fades, though. Um, well, she won Cincinnati when- last year, um, which actually I have to put a pause and, and, you know, kind of amend my statement that this is the biggest title of her career. I mean, she's really kind of tied because she won Cincinnati last year and she beat Wozniacki, Svitolina, Kvitova, and Halep along the way to win that title. So I guess you could kind of argue in a lot of ways that uh, Cincinnati may actually top that a little bit just based on the level of competition that she played to win that title. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. But still, you know, at the end of the day, though, regardless, um, you know, it, it's a huge deal for her. It's a big win. And the fact that her game is built on top spin – uh, Clay should be her surface of choice. So, you know, I just think well, it's a good, it's a good here, win for her. Here's my honest opinion about why it's so big too. It's who she beat. A, she didn't drop, she didn't drop a set, Yeah. period. The only game, the only match that she gave up five games in a set was the second set against Sloane Stevens. Otherwise, she beat Sinyakova, who isn't the best singles player, but uh, Katarina's a great doubles player. She beat Ostapenko. Then she beat Sevastova, 12th seed. Then she beat Kvitova, 2nd seed. Then she beat Sloan, the 8th seed. Then she beats Halep, the 3rd seed. Every single person there, bar Sinyakova per se, because she's definitely more of a double specialist. She beat Ostapenko and Halep and Steven. Three grand slam. I mean, did Petra Kvitova, how many did she win? Couple? Uh, couple? I swear Petra Kvitova's won grand slams. Or maybe I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Some she, of the names Kvitova, sound so yeah, close. Kvitova won two. I, Two Wimbledon titles. Yeah, yeah, she won two Wimbledon. So either way, so she beat four former Grand Slam champions. Yeah. And yeah, Ostapenko's the only Ostapenko and Halep uh both won Roland Garros. So yeah. like that is I mean, you really almost couldn't get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in terms of it was like it's think of it back, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to CT Poss last year in what was it Cincinnati or Wancher? I can't remember which one it was. But, the worst with you know when stuff. he when he blew through four he, top ten opponents. He blew through. In the same, uh, it was, I believe it was Toronto. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Toronto. Four top ten ranked players in the same tournament. Like you, oh, you can't have a better run than that. But granted, he didn't win though, so you can't have a better run. But yeah, I think that she should be at an all-time high just because of also who she beat. It's one thing mentally to beat a field of where the, the, the chips fall your way and every you know major opponent you should have played loses and you get kind of lucky and you're playing people who just played the match their life happened to be. It's a different thing to take out that stacked of a field that she went against, that stacked of a, of a, of a gauntlet basically is what I like to say. Uh, so I hope that she continues. I mean, she's not old. She's 27, but people – she doesn't look like her height. Mike, she's six feet, okay, which wow. if, you, if you knew she was from the Netherlands, that's like a given because their like average height is like 6'2 or something. It's kind of insane uh, over there. But anyway, uh, yeah, this it, is something that I hope she doesn't fade from. I hope it's not like Isner or somewhere else where you know you, you hit a big title – and it's a, it's a big emotional, but you gotta you gotta get back to it right now. Okay, Roland Garris is right around the corner. You I, you can't afford to go out in the second round of Rome, and it's gonna crush your momentum and crush you know crush you, 
and then you got to turn on and go to Rongaris. She needs to have a decent showing around. Does she got to win? No, but she should probably make it to the quarters. And then that's something to build on. Like, are oh, you happy? You know, what are you going to do? We, I just won, you know, how many matches did she just play? She won six matches. She just played six matches rolling right into here. You know, you can't expect them to win 12 matches in a row, but if she gets to maybe the quarters round of 16, at least, then I say she's going to still be in a good shot to be like a dark horse or be considered. But if she turns around and loses in the first round, it's like, did you just lose all that momentum? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, we'll see what happens this week. This is um, going to be a big, big week for her. Can she bounce back? I mean, I'm not saying she has to bounce back here at Rome and uh, you know make it to the final or win, but she does have to make a good run. I'd say quarters or better for her would uh, – be a good indication that she can bounce back from a big win like this and, and still be hungry for more. So we'll see what happens there. All right. So moving on here, Serena Williams has withdrawn from the Italian open, but expects to be fully fit and ready to go for Roland Garros. Uh, apparently she uh, pulled out with a leg issue and, um, and she pulled out when she was getting ready to face her sister, Venus. Uh, so Eric, what do you think about, uh, Serena pulling out uh, appears to be a leg issue, but she'll be ready to go in a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't think there's anything behind it. I know some people are probably like, oh, she just didn't want to play Venus. She's better than Venus. By far better than Venus. She had, an e- she had an easier, yeah, but uh, she had an easier match than Venus. She won 6 4 6 2, breezed through. Venus had a really top three set against Elise Martins and went 7 5 3 6 7 6. So unless. You know, she just was like trying to, you know, she wanted to, you know, gift points and money to her sister. I doubt it. At the end of the day, what is Serena Williams' ultimate goal? 24 grand slams and then break that record. Mm -hmm. So Roland Garris, I don't think there's anything behind it. The fact that it was Venus, I think meant very little. Maybe it meant a tiny bit. Like, well, I don't really want to play anyway. But since it's like, you know, you could have had that. But I think she was probably going to just pull out no matter what because it's not it's not worth it. I don't mean to be mean to Rome, but it's not worth it if there's something there. I guess. And it, no, that's true. Uh, I will say I'm a little. If it was really, Wimbledon, that'd be one thing or something like that. But it's like it's Venus's worst surface. Yeah. And Serena's won how many French Open? Five, six, something like that. Who? Four, five, six. Serena? Serena. Serena yeah, Serena's won. Uh, she hasn't won that many. I want to say she's won three. Three? Yeah. Okay. But how many has Venus won? I don't think she's ever won a she's never won yeah. a French Open. Exactly. Zero. <laughs> and she doesn't have many clay tales to her name. So that's just my thoughts. I don't I don't see anything there because of it. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think it's fine. Uh Michael put in some comments here, our other other coast. Of course. Um, yeah, he does find it convenient. <laughs> yeah, he finds it convenient that uh she pulled out uh facing Venus and that she withdrew. Uh, I agree with you, Eric. I really don't think there's much to it. Um, it could have been something, you know, she won her match, but then kind of afterwards felt like there was something there. Doesn't want to chance it. Obviously, like you said, the Grand Slams is the biggest thing. The downside of this, obviously, is that, look, Venus has been spotty this year. I mean, that's being kind. I mean, she's barely, barely played at all this year. And uh, Clay is just a different game. Now, obviously, Serena's 37 years old. Um, but she's still one of the most powerful players on tour, one of the best players on tour, even at 37 years old. But I will say that if there's any surface on tour in which it would be good for her to get some matches under her belt, it would be clay. 
because clay is just a different game. It requires different kind of movement. It uh, it it, it, um, it takes different muscles that you never use any other point of the year uh, to really you know play well on clay. And so I think it would have been nice to see her get through this tournament. But at the same time, you're right. If push comes to shove, pull out of the tournament because it is bigger, uh, more important for you to actually play in Paris than to play in Rome. Uh, you know, once she gets in Paris, she'll be practicing, I'm sure, within a few days, and we'll see what happens. Because uh, with Serena, it's all about just getting on there and, you know, starting to get some momentum in the early stages of a Grand Slam, uh, because she's still good enough that on any surface, she's still a major threat. So we'll see what happens. Uh, all right. So let's move on to set two, and this is going to be our Madrid review. So, uh, Eric, um, looking at this week um, on Ma- the Mutual Madrid Masters, uh, there were some big matches. Um, and I think the first one I want to talk about before we get to our final talk is Nadal losing to Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, I watched this match in its entirety. And, um, you know, I think obviously Tsitsipas played well. He was doing some things tactically that really worked in his favor. Uh, For one thing, he didn't back down from the baseline. He kept uh, staying as close to the baseline as he possibly could, keeping the pressure on Nadal. Uh, He was also mixing up his tactics. He was serving and volleying, uh, coming in from time to time, which forced Nadal to constantly be uh, aware that that could happen at any moment. It's, It's kind of a tactic that reminds me of Roger. Because Roger likes to do that, uh, especially with someone like Nadal. He'll come in even on clay. Uh, and obviously, we know how good uh, Roger is at the net. And Tsitsipas played very well at the net um, in his win over Nadal. Uh, and then on top of that, he was just being aggressive. Um, he, Like I said, he wasn't backing down. He wasn't letting Nadal, for the most part, get his teeth in the rallies. Um, he was forcing Nadal, um, pushing the ball, uh, using inside-out forehands uh, when he could get them. And really just keeping Nadal back as much as he could. Nadal wasn't able to really be as aggressive as he probably could have been in the match. But despite all that, uh, I think the thing that Nadal was going to look at in this uh, match and really be frustrated about is the lack of breakpoint. Breakpoints that he was able to get in this match because there were multiple chances in which Nadal... Was able should have been able to break or should have broken Tsitsipas the first set. Nadal was up 3-2. It was love 40 on Tsitsipas' serve. And I remember sitting there thinking, please don't let that happen what I think is going to happen. And it happened, which was love 40 on Tsitsipas' serve. And Tsitsipas came all the way back, held. And there was a few other times in the match in which Nadal had either a love 40 or a 15-40, multiple breakpoint chances on different games, and he just was not able to get that break point. And that hurts you as a player when you can't break through like that. And it gives a lot of confidence to the player who's serving because they know the kind of hole they're in. They know all they have to do is just, just make one mistake, you know, hit a ball off their off their um, the racket, uh, hit a ball into the net, something, some unforced error, um, and it's over. And they've just been broken. And... Tsitsipas was able to serve his way out or Nadal was just making mistakes on those breakpoint opportunities. And you can't do that. 
You cannot that's, be love forty on really someone's serve. Is. That that's what it was because he had he had sixteen break chances. Yeah. Now Cici Paz had fourteen of his own, and that's really what it came down to. It came down to um, one more break of serve by Cici Paz. But the funny thing is that Nadal lost. However, Nadal played um, Nadal played better on his service and return than Cici Paz did. He won more service points. Well, Tsitsipas did win one more return point than Nadal, but Nadal won seven more service points than Tsitsipas. So really what it was is that that Tsitsipas was better at stringing his points together mm-hmm. and, and getting those breaks. You know, you, he converted um, he converted six of 14 as opposed to Nadal's five of 16. So it's, it's, it was really kind of even uh, for the most part. And it was just a couple of points either way. Like you said, if he would have uh if he would have broken CC Paws, whether it love or not, and would have rolled out that set, he probably would have just won the second set six two, six three. It more than likely would not have seesawed back and forth. Because we know the best chance you have of beating any of the top players, specifically, but most people, but specifically the top players, is winning the first set. It's not many times that that you lose the first set and you're going to beat someone like a Djokovic Nadal or Federer. So, like, it's it's imperative for you to do that. And I think there's still some hesitance, um, I, not necessarily be, maybe because it was Madrid or maybe not, but I still think there's some there's some hesitance on break points where he's afraid to he's afraid to mess up the point hit a net, hit it too far. He's kind of waiting for the other guy to maybe make a mistake first that the pressure of, of saving break point will get to his opponent versus him going after it. And I don't like that mentality. We've seen um, it before that we've seen it before yeah. in the last few years. Uh, not, not last year, obviously not, not in 2017, but uh, 2015 and 2016 were by far the worst years of Nadal's career in a lot of ways that he didn't win a grand slam in those years. He was, uh, often a shadow of his former self. I mean, I remember in 2016, people were openly talking about him, maybe you know, needing to retire because he looked so bad out there. I mean, he was, you know, he was talking openly about suffering from the jitters and just being nervous out there and, and just, you know, and I don't know whether what it was specifically, I don't know whether it's, uh, a, physical issue which led to a mental issue just whatever it was he was not going out there and playing with the normal confidence and it seems to be rearing its head again this year i think it's i think it's physical based because when Nadal is 100% healthy we see the best from him from both a physical and a mental standpoint and let's be honest after australia this year he's been hurt he goes to indian wells gets hurt and he's i think he's been slowly recovering from an injury i'm not Blaming the injury for the loss. I'm just saying, I, I when Nadal is fully healthy, he is generally a lot more confident, and uh, it could also be a lack of reps too. I mean, if he's injured, he's not practicing as much as he should be, which you know we know Nadal needs to hit a lot of balls, and if he's not, you know, playing a lot of matches, he at least needs to be hitting a lot of balls in practice. And you know, I'm not sure exactly what it is. All I know is that this Nadal, this Nadal, right now is not going to win the French Open if he's playing like this because you cannot be tentative on any surface 
Now on clay, you can get lucky. You can be a little more lucky on on clay. Um, being tentative doesn't necessarily mean you're going to outright lose points, but you can't. You still you can't be tentative, and you cannot be tentative against someone like Djokovic or Federer or Tsitsipas or Team. I mean, if Nadal's going to have a chance to win here in a few weeks, he's going to have to change this. He's going to have to figure this out because otherwise, he ain't lifting that trophy in Paris. So this week is a big week for him because whatever his issues are, wherever they're coming from, whatever they are, he needs to figure them out. So this is something I think is important. And, um, you know, we'll get to this stuff here shortly. Uh, more questions regarding uh, Nadal and stuff at Rome. But uh, the other one is uh, the Roger Federer loss, Eric. And we did talk about this briefly, but, you know, it's a big deal for for Roger to go out there and to play well and the fact is he had two match points against team and he failed to convert on both of those match points uh team squeaked out that second set tiebreaker 13-11 and then managed to pull away in that for in that third set but I'll tell you what I watched that in a, uh that watched that Federer match against team and after that first set I thought this is going to be a quick match because Federer was just outclassing team in pretty much every single area that you could. Uh, it looked team looked bad out there, to be quite honest with you. What did you? Well, think yeah, that I mean, it's it goes without saying that that even team gets a little, you know he mentioned it's it's uh, when you play Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, people he looked up to, um, you know, who've been around for forever. Uh, and kind of idolized. It's it's really hard to to beat them, to play them, and and really want to beat them because you're kind of starstruck a bit at the same time. He's mentioned before, um, and you don't know what what you're gonna see. I mean, it's different when you've seen you know Federer play on clay and see what his game's up to and whatnot. But you've got two matches to look at. He hasn't played in two years, two plus years actually, two and a half years. However you want to look at it, since the last time he actually played a clay tournament. So. Um, it's very different there as well uh, on just seeing what it, what it's going to be. And I think he was a little shell shocked mm-hmm. at the first set. Um, and then, you know, he, he came to grips with it. And he still, like I said, Fed still had two, two match points in the second set, but uh, he played better in the second set. And then in the third, it was kind of a reverse where I think, you know, Fed was affected by his letting match points go by. I mean, we've seen him do it twice in a row, specifically against Djokovic at the U.S. Open, um, two years in a row, uh-huh. held match points. I think with him, it's 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 kind of like break points for Nadal right now. It's like match points for Federer. He's in the last you know handful of years lost matches, a handful of matches after holding match points, which is not something you'd expect from the greatest player of all time to do. Um, and that's something that he needs to, you know, got to He's got to make sure he irons out as well, too. You can't let your foot off the gas, um, especially against someone, someone like team, but he's going to play someone who's just going to go, you know, pedal to the metal the entire time, like a Fognini, a Cecchionato, you know, might play them early. Those guys, you can't give them hope, um, because they're going to just try to take it and run with it, you know, that type of thing. So, uh, I wasn't surprised Federer lost. To be honest, but I also didn't get to watch the match in real time. I had to watch it after, um, just because it's working. Uh, so I think he's in a good spot. I think team. I hope I didn't look, dude. Is he playing doubles again this week? 
because I'm about to reach to his computer screen and like slap him if he's doing it again. <laughs> I, because I don't I don't believe he is. Um, I can. I didn't look at the. I, I mean, honestly, uh, folks, we normally focus on men's side ATP. I try. We try to look at doubles here and there, uh, and then WTA as well. But I haven't even paid attention to see <laughs> what what it is because he was. You know, he did. He played the finals. He lost the finals. Yeah, um, he is playing Schwartzman. Yes, he's playing doubles, Eric. He's playing doubles. Uh, he plays tomorrow at 10 a.m. with Meltzer. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I just want that's, that. That gets to be where he played well enough that he doesn't he doesn't need the doubles. I don't know what what he thinks he needs help with. But, you know, I granted there's a week off between Rome and Roland Garros and he's top, you know, top 10 seed. So he's going to not play until probably Tuesday or Wednesday. So really, realistically, he's got nine. If he makes the final, he's got nine days before he'd probably have to play again. But if you get decently far in both, that's a lot of mileage to rack up where you could get yourself injured trying to prepare for the French Open. So I don't think that's a good idea. Personal opinion. Yeah. No, no, I definitely agree. Um yeah, we'll see what happens with him this week. But uh, let's move on, Eric, and let's talk about the the final here. So path, we'll start out the path to the final. The path to so, the final. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take over the ATP side here. Okay. So I kind of mentioned earlier. That's why I want to take it over. I I did mention who Djokovic went through. He went through Fritz, Shardy, Chilich, Walkover, beats Dominic Team uh, in in a good match. It was two tie breaks actually, and uh, makes it to the final. What I didn't uh, say anything about was Cece Pass. That was a better was a better run in my opinion. A, I mean, Manorino, Adrian Manorino was his first match. Um, he's solid. not crazy, but he's solid, and and he's a better match than Taylor Fritz. The, the Frenchman has upset people in the past couple of years. You know, kind of a small dark horse to upset some people. Fernando Verdasco, um, I think this helped Tsitsipas a bit against Nadal because while Verdasco is not the same, Verdasco is the closest you're going to get to a Nadal in terms of practice. Uh, otherwise playing Nadal. Uh, and then he gets through Verdasco, plays Alexander Zverev, which it, sometimes I say that's a great win. And other times I say like anybody could beat Zverev on it uh, at all. And I think that's kind of one of those because Zverev just lost again uh, already at Rome. And then he goes through Rafael Nadal and, uh, you know, that kind of epic three setter, you know, back and forth right Eric, there. Uh, just to say real quick, Adrian Manorino is also a lefty. So he played two lefties to start out the tournament. Oh, he did. I see. Yeah. I didn't pay attention to whether Manorino was lefty. You know, I never. Yeah, he was I, a lefty. I, I thought he was a lefty. So, yep. I, I I probably knew that before and forgot. So he had two lefties. Now Manorino doesn't hit with the type of top spin that Nadal or even Verdasco does. So it's, it's kind of like the it's kind of like a warm up. It's like a warm up. Yeah. You know, Manorino is a regular lefty, and Verdasco is a little more top spin than Nadal, more top spin, and it's like you just kind of get practiced as you get there. So anyway, CG Poss makes it to the final. Against Djokovic, Djokovic defeats him six three six four. Um, it was a good final. Um, I, I you could tell that from the onset. I, I felt from the onset that Djokovic was was going to win. I didn't really feel that there was a lot of moments or any real given moments where CC Poss was like had the momentum and was going to, you know, run with it and and everything. So I kind of. Um, it just, I mean, he he couldn't get on Djokovic's serve. That's that's where it's at. I mean, he didn't get a single breakpoint chance. And when he went the full, full, the whole first set, 
and didn't get a single break point chance, I'm like, yeah, like you would have to really change some tactics, you know, there, you know, Djokovic's first serve was on, he almost 80% first serve percentage win, um, about 60% second serve, which is hovering around the same as CC Paz. Uh, but CC Paz's serve was definitely not on his, his, um, Djokovic's return of serve was on point. I mean, CC Paz only won 61% of his first serve percentage points. Um, you're not going to beat anybody if you can't get a break point chance on them uh, and you can't win more than 70% of serve points, first serve, second serve. I mean, it just it just wasn't wasn't there. He just was outplayed from the get-go. It's not – I don't know if it was maybe fatigue, like we said, against playing the doll, but it didn't feel like it was the same CC Paz that played the doll as what showed up for Djokovic. Yep. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the the match to me kind of felt like the same way, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, he won. Djokovic won fifteen more total points in CC Plus. That's yeah, a lot. It is. It's a lot. And look, the fact is, um, you know, people say, "Well, CC Plus just um, he was just mentally fried at that point." Uh, I really don't think so. CC Plus is a pretty strong, uh, mentally strong player. Um, We've seen him play very well. We've seen him take out a lot of players in the last uh, year and a half since he's really come on the the scene. Um, I think this is just a combination of a couple of things. One, you're going up against Djokovic. You just beat Nadal, obviously. And we've talked about how beating two of the all-time greats in a row is not something that most players are able to do. There always seems to be a letdown going into the next match. It's like you expend so much physical and mental energy that you go into the next match with like half a tank and when you need a full tank. And um, they have, you know, they haven't been able, at least the younger generation, hasn't been able to figure out a way in which they can refill that tank uh, to make sure that they're fully ready to go in the final. And just, you know, that along with the fact that I just felt like Djokovic was confident and calm uh, played well was was uh, I think probably well not probably it is the best he's played all year since Australia it's not even close um, you just went up against a buzzsaw you know Sitsipas did and you know he gave it his best effort but at least on this day he was not able to do it so you know it's a great win for Djokovic though obviously um, you know you took out Sitsipas and you know regardless of who you had to, to face to get to the final. Hey, it's who you had to face. It's you know, Djokovic isn't gonna isn't gonna uh, apologize for that. So, uh, all right. So let's move on here to the WTA. Um, uh, Kiki Burton. I'll take this one. I'll take this one as well too, because I just mowed through what Kiki did as well. So, uh, <laughs> yes, you Kiki did. Burton's. Okay, I did. Remember Kiki Burton's path to the final. It was impressive. Uh, it was the most impressive path to the final of the tournament because of who she had to beat. So, as I mentioned again, I'll reiterate: Katarina Sinyakova. Then Yelena Astapenko, Anastasia Sevastova, takes out Petra Kvitova, Sloane Stevens, and on to the final against That's a Hunter really Hell. good lineup right there, I got to tell you. Yeah, I told you, as I said, dude, it was four former Grand Slam champions, two former Roland Garros champions, four top seeds. Top, well, not top 10, because one was 12. I think Sevastova was 12th seed, but uh, four seeds in the top 12 she took out. Now, Halep did play decent people as well. I mean, she had a couple of, you know, kind of say easier opponents in terms of who they're playing on the surface, but uh, she took out Margarita Gasparian, uh, Joanna Conta, Victoria Kuzmova, 
Uh, Ashley Barty, who's been playing really well. Belinda Benchik, who's been also playing pretty well lately as well, uh, and makes it to the final against Kiki Burton's. And I kind of already went through, you know, the final and 6-4-6-4, but it, this, the score made it look closer than it was. Uh, it was definitely uh, slanted towards Burton's a little bit more. She played well, you know, going to keep going forward from this. And like I said, hopefully she makes it to the round of 16 uh, from here. Uh, then I think she's in a good spot for Roland Garris. Uh, I honestly think that maybe if she wins, like I'm not saying you don't want to win, but almost maybe if she wins could cause some concern. Um, if you've never won two, I mean, 12 matches back to back, how sore is that going to affect your preparation? You know, you're going to have to do some real recovery and may not get the practice of preparation in for Roland Garros. So it's kind of a, you know, razor's edge uh on what what do you do you want to do good but do you want to go to win you know type of deal so we'll, yeah i mean we'll look, see what happens this yeah week. i think that uh burton's played great i think uh simona Halep obviously just her getting to the final was a big deal for her because she's looked spotty this year i mean let's be honest simona Halep, for the most part this year like Djokovic, has not really looked like the simona Halep that we knew uh yeah that we've known that we've seen mow down Person after person, tournament after tournament, getting. Well, she gets deep. that though, but well, and with Clay, I mean, she's been the last couple of years just so spotty. Like she'll play fantastic, can but nobody can touch her one week, and then the next week she like loses in the second round. Well, well, well. I mean, occasionally, but I mean, look, I've I've seen I've seen Simone Halep though go on runs where two or three straight tournaments in a row, she's either in the final or she's winning the thing, and mm-hmm. you know she's been the most consistent player in on the WTA uh, in the last probably two to three years. So she's someone that, you know, if you can beat her in the final, that's a really big deal. It's not just a big deal to win the title. It's a big deal to win Simona Halep, defeat Simona Halep because it's Simona Halep. It's Simona Halep may have only won one grand slam title so far in her career, but she's been probably the consensus best player in the world for a while now. So, all right, uh, Eric, let's move on to set three here. We're going to talk about uh, Rome. So I want to throw some questions at you. So, Eric, what does Rafael Nadal need to do to right the ship going into Roland Garros? Meaning, what does he have to do in Rome in order to go into the French Open fully confident that he can walk out of there with the trophy? I don't think he needs to win. I think he needs to at least make the semifinals, preferably the finals, in my opinion. But it's not necessary for him to win. I don't think it's necessary for any of the big three to win any tournament leading up to the surface of their, you know, their best surface. Like Djokovic and Fed and Nadal, it's not necessary if they win or make it to the finals of the warm-up tournaments going in. Um, so I don't think he needs to win, but he needs to <clears throat> he needs to write the breakpoint percentages. He needs to when he gets breakpoints, he needs to start getting them on the you know first or second eight or not five for 16 yeah five for 16 is horrible okay you 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 can't be doing that if you get 16 chances means you're not winning a lot of them anyway so he needs to have a more of a five for nine five for ten around 50 percent 50 percent plus and i think he's gonna be okay he not get squeamish or not get tight or worried about things when you get to his break points um First serve percentage is okay, but needs to bring that up a little bit as well, too. And then 
it, it's the it's the forehands. Um, you know, the cross court forehands needs to bring down the line forehands a little bit more as well, too. Um, I, I know it's what he likes to do. He's comfortable with it, but it's also predictable. It's going to work against most people. But if you don't really start getting the work in now and, and getting that down there, when you play someone like if, like a Djokovic or a team um, in the final or maybe even a Fed, you know, considering Fed's backhand so much better improved, we haven't seen, you know, Nadal play Federer since Federer's backhand's improved since when he won 17 Australia with that revamp backhand. He hasn't played in the doll and clay. So even someone like like an adult, you can't let those type of guys, you know, tee off if you're afraid to go down the line. And you're not going to go down the line in the moment if they're teeing off on your cross court forehand. He's got it, it's it's like a a very bad, bad circle chasing you. Uh where if you don't get the practice in now, you're not going to just start doing it in the moment when the match is on because you're not going to have the confidence to go start going down the line. You may do it here or there. But you're not going to start pulling the trigger if you need to, if they start eating your bet, your forehand cross court alive. So that's what I think he needs to do. The inside out forehands look good when he's done it. Mm-hmm. Um, I he doesn't do a lot of drop shots. Footwork's pretty good, but I think it's kind of those key areas that that he needs to. Because if he if he also breaks with less chances needed to break, that's a confidence booster as well too. Yeah. Nope. I agree. Um... I think he just needs to have a good run this week if he if he can. Hey, if he can win the thing, it's even better. The fact is, we know that Rome is the most uh, Paris-like clay court tournament in the world. In terms um, of conditions, In terms yeah. of conditions. Um, so him playing well here is – it may not be essential, but I think it is going to say a lot. And I think it's going to say a lot about how, where his game is at, more so than Madrid because we know Madrid is um, – you know, much more arid. It's drier, higher elevation. The court, the ball moves through the court a lot quicker. The ball doesn't bounce as high as it does on a like Rome or obviously Paris. So this is a kind of a big deal. I think it's a little bigger of a, a little more of a big deal than you do. Um, but I don't think it's an uh, you know an end all be all kind of tournament for him. He doesn't have to win it. I just think he has to put in. Semi-final performance, uh, quarters at worst, honestly, but uh, I think he's got to get to the semis, I think, to really, even if he loses, to think that, okay, fine, I lost, whatever, let's move on to Paris. Uh, now you got to win best of five against me, so let's see how that goes. Uh, you know, But he's got to play pretty well here this week, uh, because if he goes out there and loses early, then we got a problem. So Yeah, I agree. All right, so Michael uh, said uh, his comment was nothing. Uh, Nadal doesn't have to do anything, really. He said just slowly getting better each week. He'll peak at the right time. So Hopefully. Hopefully. So let's go on the opposite side. Yeah. Has Djokovic's win in Madrid catapulted him to the top of the favorites room? I already answered this question. I said no. Yes, you said no. <laughs> I, I, um, I mean, it, it is he's not the top of the favorites. That's the thing. Maybe with how you worded it, would I put him in top three? Absolutely. I'd put him at number three. I would put, um, probably in my honest opinion, I'd put Dominic team as one, Nadal two, Jogger's three, CC plus four, and then Federer five. That'd be like my top five on who I honestly would expect to win. Now teams should probably drop down my board a few pegs for idiot playing doubles, but I'll still leave him at the top at the moment. Uh, just because he's been the next best consistent person on clay. And Djokovic is just kind of 
lucked out early rounds, walkover, played a decent team, you know, played a, you know, uh, starstruck CT paws. It's, it's a little bit different. So I will say no. And then Mikey, before we get to you, Mikey said, no, still need to see multiple weeks with good form, which I agree with. Yeah, I have to agree here. Um, I do think obviously a win, hey, a win is a win. A, a big title is a big title. Uh, it may not be, um, the conditions may not be the same uh say Rome or the French. But it's Open, kind of a more of a hollower win though. It, it, they know. You know. When you won that many titles, you know when it means more than others. And I think this was a, a bit of a hollow. The biggest match win he'll take is beating team. Well yeah, it's true. But I think what it will say is, hey, even if I didn't play great this week, I still came out with a trophy. So you know, hey, if if it, you think he can trick himself into believing that like that, which I don't think, then go for it. But I think someone of that caliber knows. There's no he's won so many tournaments. You know what feels better than other wins, and the the caliber and quality he really just has, in my honest opinion, team. It's great, great win from team. You know, oh, I I beat team. But again, you look at where it was. You got to take all those things into consideration, and then it's not as glamorous of a win. As it was now, if he wins Rome, then I'll say yes. He will definitely be my absolute favorite uh, to win Roland Garros if he wins this week. All right, so let's move on here to the women's side. Uh, does Simona Halep need to at least make the final in Rome to have the confidence that she can retain her title in Paris? Uh, Michael said yes, but uh, thinks she still would not be the favorite uh, for Paris. I say, I say no, but I also agree she wouldn't be the favorite anyway. But we've seen her get there so many times, you know, a few times and, and then break through. I don't think because she's won it. I don't think she's got that pressure. Is there pressure to defend? Yeah, but I don't think she's got the same pressure. She knows she's made it to the final how many times. She's finally won it. She doesn't need to win this. Kind of like Nadal. This is her favorite surface, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think she needs to win Rome or even make it to the final in Rome to have confidence going into Roland Garros. Because at the end of the day, she she's the defending champ. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't think she needs to win Rome uh, to be confident that she can retain her title. I do think going to make a decent run. Yeah, yeah. Wrong. She wow. can't lose early, but if she makes a decent quarters or better, I think you know that's going to make her feel like she has the preparation to go in and defend her title. Um, and then the last uh, question here, uh, what player has a chance to upset everyone and win Rome on the women's side? Uh, Michael said Azarenka or Ashley Barty. He said Vika getting better each week and Barty is riding good momentum. Uh, I, I think that's probably two very I good mean, picks, I actually. Put Barty, I wouldn't put anybody that's in the top eight seeds because that means you're the best seed in that particular section. Um, I would put someone like a uh, Belinda Benchik, who made it to the semifinals. Yeah, Benchik. Uh, I would. Pick. That's who I would pick for someone out outside of you know because she's not even seated, uh, and she beat Sevastova in in three sets already. She plays Modenovic next. Uh, I would put her as my pick on uh, a dark horse. Um, has the best chance. That would be that would be mine. Okay, well, you know, I, I'm not picking her to win. I'm answering the question. <laughs> right. I'm saying she has the chance to upset. Yeah, I, I, I agree. As a ranker, someone like Belinda Benchins is a good pick there, too. So, yeah. And Barty. Um, and, you can't say Barty, but I don't think that. I think Barty mostly because even though she's a higher seed, she's clay. She has the game it, to play her, yeah, clay, isn't... but she hasn't proven that clay is she's she's happy on 
the surface, but she has the game uh, to, to actually play great on clay. So right, drum, um, drum roll. Uh, oh. We're going to move on to our Madrid picks. Yep. I'm going to let I'm oh, sorry, go not Madrid, actually, it's Rome. Yeah, Rome. it's God. Yeah, yeah. Me reading. It's my fault. I know we're talking about Rome and I just read. Uh, so anyway, Rome, uh, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to say Mikey's first. Michael's first. Um, so we're going semifinals on. Uh, just because it's it's less complicated to go that way. And honestly, I like it better. Uh, so Mikey does have uh, Djokovic versus Schwartzman in the first semifinal and then Nadal versus Fed in the second. Uh, he's got Djokovic beating Schwartzman, Nadal beating Federer, and Nadal beating Djokovic in a tight three-setter, 6-7, 6-4, 6-4. I like it. I would love that to actually happen. Um and on the WCA side, he's got Halep, uh, Simone Halep versus Kiki Burtons in the first semifinal, and Victoria Zarenka and Ashley Barty in the second. Has Halep beating Burtons and Azarenka beating Barty, and then Halep beating Azarenka 7 5 6 3 uh, to win. Um, that would be cool as well, too, but I have neither of only one of those four people do I even have in the finals. So. Okay. <laughs> So right. you are next. I'll let you go. All right. So uh, on the ATP side, on the men's side, I have uh, Novak Djokovic defeating Kini Shikori in the semifinal. And then I have uh, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas defeating Dominic Team. So really what we're going to be getting here, at least for me, I think, is just replaying the final we just experienced in a lot of ways. Although I think uh, this time around, uh, in the final, Djokovic wins – uh, yet again, but I do think it's not a a straight sets uh, beat down. Uh, it's a three setter, six seven, uh, six four, seven five. So Djokovic comes down or comes from a set down to uh, win Rome. Uh, so as you can see, um, I don't have Nadal in the semis actually. Um, here in Rome. Hmm. So Eric, interesting, what interesting. Okay, all right, so. Um, I don't have Djokovic making it to the finals. Um, uh, okay. I, you know, I looked at it, that, that draw and, and, you know, he's going to play Denis Shapovalov, then more than likely, unless Kolchaber wins, you got Marco Cecchinata, who upset him last year in the French. And then we finally have Nick Kyrgios playing tennis for once. Um, uh, and I think between Cecchinato and Nick Kyrgios, I think he's going to go down, um, in the quarters. So in the semifinals, I have um, Nick Kyrgios uh, versus um, um, Key Nishikori. I do have Nishikori making making it semis on that fine on that side, and I've got um, Nick Kyrgios beating Nishikori to make it to his first, I think, first Masters final. Pretty certain. Yeah. Um, and then on the uh, alternate side. Uh, I do have Nadal versus Tsitsipas with Nadal beating Tsitsipas against Kyrgios. And I've got Nadal beating Kyrgios in the oh, final. Okay, so you have Nadal taking out Kyrgios to win Rome. Yeah. Okay. I have Nadal taking out team Tsitsipas, mm-hmm. Kyrgios. Wow, that's a, that's a great lineup. Uh, you know, hopefully that does happen. And that's, uh, that's saying Tsitsipas makes it, makes it past Fognini. Yeah, to be honest, because that's where I looked in the, in the draw and I saw I'm like, who, you know, arrested Fognini versus Tsitsipas, who just made it to the final. Uh, you know, we'll see. So that's it's not, you know, going to be easy. And, then you know, he's got Federer, but 
you know, you know, is Fetter better than Borna Chorch on clay? Probably, but um, you know, Chorch is who he's probably is who he's going to play if uh, Roger beats Dralsusa. He's going to play Chorch, and Chorch has beaten Fetter a bit lately. You know, he's kind of the only newer kid, younger kid who's kind of beat him uh, on a decent basis a few times, type of deal. I think on grass mostly but still it's not going to be uh it, it it's actually Nadal who's got the easiest route to the quarters in my opinion um I'm not trying to be mean against Basilashvili but he's got Shardy Basilashvili and then team yeah um so I I think I think that's going this is going to work in Nadal's favor and that's why I have him he's got a couple of good warm up matches and then he's gonna play a team. Who a team's gonna play Verdasco and then play Kashinov. Mm-hmm. So that match is the one I want to watch, Mike, because you're just gonna like slug the ball, and it's like, well, this is Clay, guys. What are you slug, slug, mm-hmm. slug? Hey, it's Clay. Remember, nope, slug. It's gonna be just forehands hammering left and right. It's gonna be kind of fun to watch. So okay, All right, let's move uh, on yeah. to the WTA uh, on the women's side. Um, yeah. On the women's side, did you do your women's pick? Yes, I honestly I w- think I interrupted you. No. Uh, my women's picks are uh, Simona Halep uh, defeating Naomi Osaka in the semifinal with uh, Petra Kvitova defeating Alina Svitolina, although um, I made these picks, you know, before and Svitolina has, has lost. So I'm sorry. <laughs> right, you didn't pick Svitolina to win. So no, matter. I didn't. So obviously, but my, my, my whole thing's busted now, but I'm sticking with the pick because I already made it. So uh, anyway, so I have Simona Halep defeating Petra Kvitova 6-4-6-4 in the final to win Rome. Okay. So I've got uh I've got Osaka, I'm sorry, not Osaka. I've got um Burton's versus Halep in rematch and Burton's beating Halep. Okay. And then uh I have not doing me wrong here, but I've got Madison Keys wow going against Ashley Barty and Ashley Barty beating Madison Keys going against um uh Burton's and I've got um Keys beating Burton's. No 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 Ash Barty. Barty, sorry. Sorry, yeah, I was gonna say Barty. I was, I was like looking at Keys's name. Um yeah I have Barty beaten Burton's. Barty um beating Burton's. Yeah. Yep. Barty beating Burton's. Jesus say that five times. Well yeah that be, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, say that five times fast. Um so yeah I mean this is uh you know warm up tournament. Uh, so next week we're going to be recapping Rome. It is a week off, uh, so we kind of bring up some news uh, and whatnot, I believe, Mike. Uh, but otherwise, it'll be the following Tuesday. We will do. I mean, I guess we can do probably. We can't really do a preview. No, because we because can't there's do no a draw. Yeah. So draw. yeah, we'll be doing just a recap and then some news. So pretty light episode next week, and then uh, the following Tuesday. Uh, we will do more and and maybe we'll talk to Mikey and see about maybe doing it Saturday, like Saturday or Sunday, if possible. That way, you know, since it's a grand slam, maybe try to get that one. Maybe do, do we'll the see initial about, one yeah. before Tuesday. We'll try to get uh, that out. But we'll see if not definitely Tuesday uh, we will have, you know, preview uh, ignoring anything that's happened so far in terms of draws and that uh, and people losing and whatnot. So, Yep, that's it, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. You know, if you'd like to write in and let us know what you think, you can send your emails to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you should be able to find the email address in the show notes if you want to find it that way. 
Uh, so send any questions, opinions, ideas, complaints, whatever it might be, send it in to us and, you know, we'll read it and respond on the next episode. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening. And, uh, by the way, also, if you would like to, uh, find the, uh, tennis, uh, attic podcast episodes, we are putting them up on SoundCloud. Uh, so before long here, they will be fully up on SoundCloud each week. Uh, so it'll be posted to iTunes as well as SoundCloud. So if SoundCloud is the kind of place you like to find your content. That'll be one more place that you can find the Tennis Attic Podcast. So check it out there. Uh, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Eric, for joining me on the episode. Yep. See you, everybody, next time. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com forward slash Freaking Geeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to TennisAddictPodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Atlantic or at FreakGeeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.